You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. How will the situation in Turkey impact global financial markets? Welcome to the second and final installment of our summer interview series for The Knock-On Effect. Welcome to The Knock-On Effect. I'm Justine Underhill. I'm Alex Rosenberg. And today we're going to interview Raoul Paul. Uh, Raoul Paul. Raoul Paul. Oh, my God. Thank Very you so important. much. Yes. Uh, he is the my boss, first of all, and he's uh, the CEO and, and co-founder of Real Vision and uh, the founder of Global Macro Investor. And he's going to kind of talk us through the situation in Turkey. Now, last week we, we had a great interview with Mark Dow. We talked about liquidity, so check that out. And, and you know, Raoul doesn't really... Um, isn't talking about the same exact topics, but it, it provides somewhat of a counterbalance, I think. Yeah, there's a nice overlap. It, it complements last week's episode. But it's almost the yin to Mark's yang, or your sure. yang to Mark's yin, or... Yeah, I'll yeah. give you that. Right? Yeah. Great. All right, here's the interview. Joining us today is the CEO of Real Vision mm-hmm. and the founder of Global Macro Investor, Raul Pal. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, gang. How are you? Great. So today, rather than going through the knock-on effect like we usually do, uh, we are going to do this interview series. And so we'd like to start out today with what is it in the world right now that you're looking at? Well, I think the most important thing is Turkey. Now, Turkey's getting headlines everywhere. And basically, the currency's collapsing, the stock market's collapsing, interest rates are rising, and there's a complete kind of currency crisis going on within the Turkish economy that's really gripping everybody. But it grips me for a different reason. And it's not because of Turkey itself. I mean, Turkey, I think, is out of the MSCI global is like five bips in waiting. So it has no real waiting world equity markets. You know, the debt markets are not that big. In emerging market terms, they're pretty big. But what this is, is actually a knock-on effect. And I know the whole you know, series is really about knock-on effects. And Turkey, to me, is a classic example of a knock-on effect. Let me talk you through how I'm thinking about this. Is in a world where there's a massive shortage of dollars, which is something that I've talked about a lot and various other guests on Real Vision have talked about, there's a structural shortage that the BIS have identified and many others have talked about. And that number's something between 13 and $15 trillion that foreigners have borrowed of the US dollar to fund their own investments. Okay, so that's generally okay when the dollar was weakening. 
But when the dollar started going up, it suddenly became a problem because as the dollar goes up, your debt increases. And then US interest rates started going up. So that was all okay. And we saw some spasms happening back in 2015, 16, and then things calmed down. But then when you add a small butterfly flapping its wings, which was Turkey, everything suddenly got poisonous. And that's the knock-on effect that really interests me. Why did Turkey matter? It mattered because one of the participants within the dollar borrowing system suddenly became a panic buyer of dollars. As money left Turkey fleeing both the political regime and the economic situation, it meant that those people went out and bought dollars for safety. Now, in a world where there aren't enough dollars to go around, that started knocking on across the world. And we saw it in other currencies. The Aussie dollar started falling. The South African rand has started moving. Emerging markets across the board. We're also seeing it in China. Suddenly, the Chinese market's under more pressure as everybody's scrambling to cover their dollars. And we're setting up a really toxic situation. And this kind of situation is something I've seen before in the past, which is why it came onto my radar screen very quickly. We were waiting for the catalyst, and this appears to be it. Now, in the past, we had catalysts in, let's say, the Asian crisis, which was the most similar situation this could potentially be. And that was when the Thai baht devalued. Again, Thailand, it's a small economy. Who cared? But that suddenly tipped across. And before you knew it, one emerging market currency after another emerging market currency after another emerging market currency started collapsing. And then the stock market started collapsing. Then the spill-on effects happened because the European banks started getting concerned about their exposures to these markets. And before you know it, a really bad situation um, occurred across the world. And in Asia, it was the biggest situation for the last 30 years. And right now, we're in a situation where there's a lot more dollar debt than there was then. It's not really necessarily a government level. It's mainly in corporate level um, and spread across the domestic economy as well. So if this dollar starts rising because of the butterfly flapping its wings in Turkey, before you know it, you've got everybody trying to search for those dollars that they need to pay back. And then meanwhile, because the US economy is relatively strong, the Federal Reserve are raising interest rates. So this is a reverse knock-on effect. I know you usually end with a with a knock-on effect, but here you've got the clear little catalyst that nobody really saw being important. And people are still to this day saying, oh, Turkey's not important. But when I look across the global macro markets, all I can see is this butterfly flapping is becoming a hurricane. So let, let's zoom out a bit and just you know re- review for folks what's been going on in Turkey so far. Because if you were casually looking at the headlines, you would see you know there, there's some some volatility in, in the political situation. Obviously, the the Turkish lira has been collapsing, but um, I, you know maybe people don't have an understanding of exactly what's happening in Turkey, and, and then that might help people understand why you see this is so important to other economic events that could unfurl around the world. Yeah, and again, this is another classic knock-on effect, just what's happening within Turkey itself. What happened is the global investment community starting getting a bit jittery about the investment prospects of Turkey when Erdogan, the president, started giving himself almost unprecedented powers. It culminated in him putting his family members in key strategic political positions. So that's the kind of signal that gets 
international investors concerned. Now, in many economies, there's enough of a buffer because the economy is reasonably balanced, but Turkey's not balanced. Turkey runs massive deficits, meaning it has to borrow money to fund itself. And that was the problem, is suddenly Erdogan voting in himself, and we see this kind of stuff all over the world, doesn't have the knock-on effect, but it does when it's put into context with this dollar situation and investors being quite overweight Turkey suddenly starting to see the writing on the wall. And bit by bit, they start dribbling out of the market. The Turks themselves feel that they're at risk. So the wealthy Turks will look at the situation saying, look, Erdogan's arresting members of the press. There's a lot of freedoms being reduced. And maybe I should get some of my money out to protect myself. Once they start getting money out, then that puts the Turkish lira under pressure. The investors start seeing it. They start wanting to get their money out. And before you know it, there's nobody who wants to buy Turkish liras apart from the central bank. And they don't have enough money to do that because they're running very little surpluses already. Now, using the Asian financial crisis as sort of a benchmark or or a comparison for what's going on today, you know, a lot of the problems really started to come to a head when hedge funds started going under. um, And then, you know, the Fed had to get involved. Um, Do you see something like that potentially happening today? Well, if we look at structure of markets, and I know Mark Dow talked about liquidity, um, you know, there's a general lack of liquidity in markets itself. You then have record positionings in many instruments. People are record short bond markets. They're record long equity markets. They're record long oil markets. So there's a number of areas where people could get hurt. There's also European banks. The Spanish banks have reasonable exposure to Turkey. Banks like Deutsche Bank could really do without a banana skin to slip on because they slip on every single one that comes along. So there's a number of these things that that are concerning, and and you know that was very much like 1998, where these kind of things were were there. Now, what the final outcome is, we don't know. They're black swans. They're called black swans for a reason. But you know that positioning, liquidity, and systemic risks lie everywhere right now, and that's a big problem. So what should be then the next thing that, that we look out for to see if this thesis will play out, to see, to see if um, Turkey really does have these widespread uh, global macro impacts? Like you, you talked about the Spanish banks. What, what would be the very next thing, the, the, the first wind coming off of the butterfly's wings? That, that's the signal for you. You see, we're already seeing it with the euro breaking down, the Australian dollar breaking down, and a number of other currency starting to move sharply. Things like the South African rand that is very similar to Turkey in how the economy set up with a not dissimilar uh, political situation either. But I think it all rests on one big thing in currency land. And that's the seven level in the RMB versus the US dollar. The RMB has been weakening quite quickly, but it's basically benchmarked against a basket of currencies. It's been weakening a tad faster than it should do versus its basket. But what's been interesting is the Chinese have not been involved. They've not been spending their three trillion of reserves to support the currency. They've been just letting it move of its own accord. Now, if that currency goes through seven to the US dollar, then you're breaking levels that we've not seen for some time. And in technical analysis terms, we've formed what's known as a cup and saucer pattern. And the magnitude of it is so big that it suggests that there is a potential, not certainty, but a probability 
that there could be a massive overshoot and the Chinese could let their currency fall much further than anybody expects. Now, when we look at the global macro picture and the backdrop of trade tariffs and this increasing trade war with the US, one of the things the Chinese do have control of is their own currency. And if they're not spending their reserves, but allowing it to weaken, then strategically it offsets the tariffs and is also kind of thumbing the nose at, at the US administration saying, you can't hurt us as much as you think you can. Now, I don't really know all of the outcomes of a situation like this. We've not had anything like this in most of our lifetimes. But I do know that the Chinese currency is probably the single most important thing. If the Chinese, who are actually the world's biggest borrower of US dollars, particularly their corporates, if they struggle to get dollars because of what's happened in Turkey, then we have a big problem on our hands. What what is, what is that? If you could, you know, shed, shed a little more light on the Turkey-China connection. I mean, what what is the the potential connection there um, in terms of like how Turkey will impact Chinese? Well, trade again, it's it's all about musical chairs. There's only a limited number of chairs, i.e., U.S. dollars. And if somebody's grabbed that chair, which are the Turkish borrowers desperately trying to cover their losses and buy dollars, there's not enough dollars for the Chinese who need to need to do the same thing. Interest rates in China are falling. Interest rates in the US are rising. It makes it very unattractive to hold the Chinese currency. So there's these kind of issues that play out, and it depends whether there's enough chairs to go around. And that's how these emerging market crisis, currency crises tend to play out. It's the ever-shrinking number of chairs or US dollars available for the sheer amount of demand that comes as the dollar starts going higher and higher against a number of currencies. Now, it's curious to me because we have seen other um, issues in emerging market economies and frontier markets, uh, even even this year, um, an example being Venezuela. Why, why wasn't Venezuela um, a trigger um, like we're seeing for yeah, Turkey? That's a great question. The reason being is Venezuela were already shut out of the global capital markets. What's happening to Turkey right now is they're in the process of being shut out, which means they can't get access to any dollars at all. Venezuela had no access to dollars because the Americans had basically imposed sanctions upon them to starve them of US dollars. So they've been without that for a long time. It's one of the reasons their economy has been imploding is because there is no access to US dollars and therefore they can't get money into their economy to pay wages or even extract the oil from the ground. So there was no real knock-on effect of Venezuela. Um, but Turkey, which is arguably smaller if you would take into account stuff like the oil um, potential in Venezuela, mattered more is because they were in the global capital market competing for one of those musical chairs. I just want to ask one question about how this plays into your uh, general macro thesis, because I, I, you've been raising these issues about the potential, about everyone being on one side of the boat of many trades and the potential instabilities in, in the global economy for a while. Had the situation in Turkey not unveiled as it has, would you you know, how would your views on the global economy be different? In other words, you know, with, with so many countries uh, having the potential to, you know, unfurl and fall apart at any minute, is is the specific events in Turkey, like how, how much do you need those to happen in order for your global macro uh, theories to, to play out? If I'm... You, you don't. It was a 
um, bug looking for a windshield. Hmm. So basically, we had the setup. What we needed was the catalyst. It could have been anything. And that's why financial markets are so interesting, because there was about 10 things all going on. It could have been the oil market blowing up. It could have been something in the Middle East. It could have been the um, Italian situation. It could have been the slowing economy in China. Obviously, it's a combination of all of those things, but it looks like that Turkey was the final straw, the straw that broke the camel's back. We'll have to see. It's a bit early days to start you know, saying, okay, mm-hmm. this is a full emerging market crisis going on, but it's looking very much to me like the, all the kindling is in place and uh, you know, the dry brushwood is on fire. And, and j- just one more question, because I kind of always like the optimistic uh, investor angle. And I know you like looking at bomb down markets. I mean, at what point is there opportunity in Turkey for, it's probably way too early to talk about that now, but, but at what point is there opportunity for uh, global investors? Well, listen, you know, I did a piece um, for Macro Insider subscribers on Real Vision about the geopolitical situation in the world. And I've talked m- many times about the monsoon region, which is this region around the Indian Oceans um, of these strategic countries that have very young populations, um, and those being countries like Turkey, Iran, India, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, and down the Swahili coast of Africa, and a number of other nations. Now, Turkey has a very young population. It's got bad leaders now. Can that last long? Yes. How long? I don't know. But Turkey is so strategically important to the world. It's not like Venezuela, which is kind of tucked at the top of South America and really isn't a threat to anybody. Turkey is basically all world trade that comes from east to west has to come somewhere close to Turkey, including a lot of oil and gas pipelines. So Turkey is so strategically important that the world can't afford a massive implosion. And also with a young population and a growing region, i.e. the monsoon region, Turkey's future is always going to be important. Strategically, it has been one of the most important places for the last two or 3,000 years, and that's not going to change. So I think that if you can buy Turkish assets at fire sale prices, you probably have another 10 or 15 years of great returns to come out of it, but it's too early yet. All right. Well, thanks for breaking down this very delicate situation that we have going on and all the knock-on effects. Everything is interconnected here. And actually, you have a video coming out next week on Real Vision that sort of goes over your macro view of everything that's going on. Yes. I mean, there are so many things going on that's part of this. And, you know, I started writing about this in GMI a while ago about a butterfly flapping its wings. And there's a number of things that happened. And and there's a lot of dots that need connecting because I think we've just walked into one of the most extreme global macro environments I've seen for a long time. We had a very strong global macro environment in 2015 when the oil price halved essentially and the dollar screamed higher. And then prior to that, we've not had anything really since the European crisis. So a lot of people have been kind of out of touch with the global macro picture and I think it's about to be extremely important. So I'm really interested and hyper-focused on what's going on. I've been flagging it on Real Vision for quite some time, writing about it in Macro Insiders and writing about it in GMI in great detail. Now, again, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not trying to say these things are certain to this is going to happen. But all I do know is from my 30 years of experience, the probabilities are rising and rising much faster than people understand. 
And that's interesting to me when we look at things like the US stock market at all-time highs, when most other markets are falling sharply now. That dichotomy doesn't last long. Additionally, I noticed that the US bond market is still pricing in kind of some sort of inflationary growth, not as extreme as everybody wanted. But suddenly, if I look around the world, I see a deflationary pulse coming that's much larger than priced in. So that becomes a great global macro opportunity and a place to make a lot of money. All right. Well, we are certainly looking forward to that video when it comes out. Yeah, and then that'll come out on uh, realvision.com. So by the way, might as well plug the 14-day oh, yeah. free trial now. So so that'll come out next week. Good uh, boy, Alex. Yeah. Good boy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Want to make sure to sign up for that. Ralph Powell, thank you so much. Thanks very much, guys. Really enjoyed it. It's, it's really interesting because with so many countries relying on the dollar, you know, it, one pull on the dollar uh, chain, if I could find a better metaphor, uh, can can knock things off the table that the chain is laying across. Wow, wow this, this is a really terrible metaphor. But but in the in the same sense that the dollar is used, I mean, it is the global reserve currency. I should have said tablecloth. Oh, no, it still didn't make sense because yeah. you had a chain in there. It's still, yeah. What about the magician? Really, Everyone's looking over here and no one's really paying attention to over here. Yes. Thank you, James, for clarifying that. Oh, hey, James. <laughs> well, you know, I like that to terrible. You know, interject myself every once in a while and I, try to make myself I, look smarter than I really am. I hope you weren't too offended by that reference to the uh, South African rand, by the way. <laughs> I did pick up on that. I did. But no, it's it kind of to be expected, really. That's your home country? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's a beautiful country and, uh, you know, it's an amazing place to, to, to live and visit, but you, you just never know what the currency is going to be doing. Anyway, uh, what were you saying before I so rudely interrupted? No, Justine, you're in the middle of a great point. Yes. Oh, as I was saying, um, the dollar is the world reserve currency and so many uh, different delicate economies are based upon the dollar. So many countries uh, rely on it. Oil, Markets are based on the dollar. There's there's so much that is interconnected in our financial system. And as of right now, not necessarily the way it'll be in the future, but as of right now, the dollar is at the heart of a lot of it. Yeah, I, I just I guess my only if I was to put on this trade now, it almost seems like since, as, as Ralph said, it was it was a bug looking for a windshield. It it seems like this might not be the best time to put on the trade necessarily uh, or, or you still might do well by putting it on now as compared to in the next few months, but <laughs> might have been better to put it on a, a month from now before we actually had a crisis that we were well, it's, it's talking about. It's funny because it's almost like, you know, stocks in the U.S. have been climbing higher. Um, mm-hmm. Everything's been looking so good. Um, but even during that period of time, everyone, all the questions are, you know, well, what are you worried about? You know, are you right. concerned? You know, aren't we getting too high? Um, you know, how long is this going to last? You know, when is this bubble going to burst? And so it's almost like now we finally have something to worry about. But mm. is it something like the Brexit where it was actually kind of a blip and then that went away? I mean, we are still dealing with the Brexit, but it hasn't been as big of a wreck on financial markets as everyone thought it was going to be. Yeah, well, it hasn't, hasn't quite brappened yet. Brappened? Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. No? Okay. <laughs> uh, so this uh, this here concludes... By, by the way, James, uh, uh, I, I think people will be glad to hear your voice. It's, it's, it's been a while. Yeah, no, it has. It's been, it's been uh, quite a while, actually. 
How's your uh, Twitter following doing? Yeah, I, I have no idea. Every once in a while, I, I find something uh, that either I think is smart or funny, and I post it out, and I get a couple of likes. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> this is it's, really exciting. <laughs> it's, yeah, honestly, I mean, uh, Twitter for me is watching people try and skateboard off of like a swimming pool and find themselves curled up in pain in the corner of the garden or something. You know, there's this... Lots so of good stuff like that on there. If that's the uh, Twitter stuff you're looking for. Make sure to follow James. <laughs> at... <laughs> hey, listen. You know, when you work in a high pressure environment uh, like uh, media or finance, uh, yeah. it's the little things, right? Oh, high pressure down the Cayman Islands, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, all right. So yeah, that, that does it for our uh, summer short summer interview series. We'll be back next week with a fresh episode of the traditional knock on effect where we. Start with the thing you know and end up in a strange place. Have, have you have you guys been getting many uh, good ideas from? Uh, I got a great viewers? idea on Twitter. I'm going to start looking into it and see where it goes. Yeah, if you have an idea for for the knock on effect, uh, send us an email to podcast at realvision.com and or uh, just DM me because or, then I get it directly and yeah, Alex doesn't see it. Or just DM me because then only I get to. No one's going to do that. No. <laughs> uh, but if, if you if you come up with a suggestion, we use again. What what, what are we offering? Them? We're offering you all the props that we use in that week's episode. Yes. It'll be fun. So if you suggest a really um, high quality, you know, topic, then you'll get some high quality props. Exactly. All right. Cool. Well, we'll see you guys next week. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.